0: The temple was empty. The presence of God long neglected, traditions long forgotten. A Community turning from selfish devotion, remembering their first love. They began working and preparing a place that was ready to worship God. A people worshiping, singing, reading scripture, lifting up praise to the King of Kings. Collectively giving the first share of what they produced, they freed up the church to bless and serve people around them. A natural invitation poured out for others to experience God's redemptive plan. This is the story of the church, restored to its former glory to what God intended it to be. This was Hezekiah's revival, our pathway to awakening. So I'm, I'm very aware that the Bears game starts in 35 minutes, and so I'll keep that in mind, all right? Fair enough? So uh, this is our last week in the series Awakening. It's been a joy. You know, I don't know if you noticed, we got signs out on Hobson advertising with this logo on it, and it's caused some confusion. I've a- received email from drive- passers-by who have said, Why in the world does a Christian church have an Egyptian pagan religion symbol on it? And I'm like, well, at least they're looking, you know, that's encouraging to see. And maybe if you weren't here at the first week when I explained this, you've been wondering the same thing. Allow me to re-explain for those of you who are unaware. Uh, This is called a scarab, and yes, the Egyptians loved the scarab and used it frequently, But archaeologists have done digging in Israel and discovered objects belonging to King Hezekiah. And sure enough, Hezekiah chose the scarab as his personal symbol. And obviously the question is why? Why did the ancients find themselves mesmerized by this animal, this insect? And the reason is, and remember the other name for the scarab, the dung beetle. It rolls a big ball of dung, and then it lays its eggs inside that ball of dung. And to the amazement of the ancients, who didn't fully understand all that was going on, out of pure filth was an explosion of new life as the young were born. And I believe, admittedly it's speculative, but I believe that that's why the ancients, and that's why Hezekiah chose this. Hezekiah inherited a ball of dung. He inherited pure filth from his father who had just crashed the nation of Judah. It was a mess. And Hezekiah prayed that through the power and grace of God, the Lord would use him to bring an awakening out of a mess. And that's what we've been praying for. We've been saying, God, our church is good. It's not a pile of dung. Our church is good, but we long for a greater love for you in our hearts and in our corporate body. We long, Lord, to be a church that is just growing and seeing you at work and reaching our neighborhood for Christ. We want to be caught up in an inexplicable and supernatural move of yours. We want to be in an awakening, a revival. So what we've been doing is studying what did Hezekiah do, what happened in that time and in that place. And then we're doing the same things, hopefully praying that God would bless us with a similar awakening. Let me give you a little reminder. This entire series has been out of Second Chronicles in the Old Testament. In chapter 29, we learned that serving was one of the keys to a spiritual awakening. Hezekiah said to the people of God, it's time to roll up your sleeves and it's time for us to work serving the Lord. And it's been so fun. We had 409 cards turned in on that serving weekend of folks saying, Count me in. I want to serve the Lord. And then we discovered that worship uh, later in chapter 29 of 2 Chronicles, Hezekiah said, Tune up the instruments, dust them off. It is time for us to meditate on the presence of God, to focus our minds on His beauty, His holiness and to lift our voices in celebration of who he is. Hezekiah knew that worship would bring God glory and transform our relationship with him. So they worshiped, and so are we. Outreach. Uh, In the next chapter, chapter 30, Hezekiah called the people and he said, Folks, there are folks distant from the Lord who we must go to and invite them to our Passover celebration. And we realize that we are to be agents of outreach and that we are to intentionally reach out to and love the people far from God and then invite them to church. We gave out 1,500 invitations to our next series, The Stranger, that so many of you took and many of you said, I've got a stack of them and I'm going to invite everyone I know. Ah, I'm inspired by the commitment to outreach. And then giving. In chapter 31 of 2 Chronicles, Hezekiah said, people, for a long time, we've neglected a lifestyle of generosity to the cause of God. And he challenged them to tithing, giving 10% as an act of worship to God and for that money to be entrusted into his eternal cause, hopefully translated into lives impacted for all eternity. And we have so many people. Do you know we had, we had uh, 120 households, which probably represents well over 300 people who indicated on their card that not only are they going to continue to give, this group said, we are raising the amount of generosity in our lives because we feel God prompting us to make that move. In addition to those raising, there are so many who are continuing their tithing lifestyle, and I'm inspired by the generosity of the Compass Church. And then last week we saw that in chapter 32, uh, it was gathering. Hezekiah said, people, we must not be a group of isolated individuals. We must be community. And so we called them to large gatherings where the word of God was lifted high. And we realized that we must be a people who gather every week to attend the large gathering, this service, every single week. And not only that, Hezekiah said, we need to gather in small groups with a leader over each group as well. And the challenge went out for us to be a part of a mid-sized or small group where the scripture and the biblical paradigm, the biblical worldview is lifted high because the world is shouting a different way to see things all the time, right? And I was so encouraged. We, We had over 100 people respond last weekend saying, I've not been in a small group. I'm ready to get into one. And we panicked a little bit with over 100 people we need to provide small groups for. We also had 22 people rise up and say, I'd like to lead a small group. And so, folks, this fall is going to be a great season of dramatic growth in our church, in community, in gathering. And that brings us to our last one, which is humility. The last key to a spiritual awakening or sustaining a spiritual awakening is humility. All the previous weeks have been a study of what Hezekiah did right. Unfortunately, this is a study of what he did wrong. In fact, I would tell you that the very reason Hezekiah fell to pride was because of that awakening. Awakenings are dangerous. Uh, maybe I should have warmed earlier. As God begins to do great stuff in your church and in your life, as things are rocking, what can happen? You get proud of your church. We'll see this at the end, uh, the very last verse we look at, but I just want to make it clear that the pride was not in Hezekiah alone. The pride was a corporate problem. Everybody in Jerusalem was getting proud of what was going on. They were like, yeah, man, our, our place is rocking spiritually and God's blessing. And that is our danger as God moves in our midst. And as our church grows numerically and with the dynamic sense of the Lord at work, you've got to be careful because we can get pr- proud and then it's over. It's over. It's done. The awakening has been canceled. You know, as you talk to folks and you say, yeah, oh, what church do you go to? Oh, I go to the Compass Church. We're incredible, you know. And that pride, very easy. And it's very serious. And Hezekiah learned the hard way of this danger, and so must we. You know, when I look at my own battle with pride, and I will confess to you, this is a huge struggle in my life. The greatest moment of temptation the, in all of my life, the single moment that was the most tempting to fall horribly to pride occurred at this very spot a little, over, a little less than four months ago. May 18th was the date. Some of you were here. May 18th, that Sunday evening, was a congregational meeting where I was voted in as the new senior pastor. Do you remember that? Uh, I will tell you, if you've ever gotten a standing ovation, they are a very heady experience. And it was the most tempting moment ever for pride. Were you here? If you weren't, I have it on video and I want to show you. We finished with 546 yes votes from members and 169 affirmations from nine non-members. 99.2% positive vote. Is Jeff here? Come on up here. <laughs> Thank you, you, everybody. Oh, you're crazy. You know, I walked down this aisle, and it was like a wall of standing ovation. Just people. Oh, you're the greatest. I felt like I was the conquering king returning from battle or some, some hero or celebrity come to save the day. And yet, I was not struggling with pride at all. In fact, there was no pride in me. All that was in me was humiliation. Humiliation. And you say, Jeff, I do not understand at all. That's because you don't know the whole story of what was going on at that very moment. And if you'll allow me, I'd like to tell you what was happening. On that day, that was a Sunday night at 6 o'clock. And I was told that because I was being voted on, it was inappropriate for me to be on the premises. And so I was told to stay away and to arrive at 6 30. Uh, It was explained to me by Darcy that there was going to be a congregational discussion with questions and comments, and around 6.30 I should be here so that they could call me in should I be uh, voted in. And so I was with my family. We had to preach here that morning. We didn't live here, so we just spent the day down in downtown Naperville, awaiting this 6.30 time to be here. It was a gorgeous day. We were having a wonderful time. We were at Barnes & Noble, actually, finishing up some purchases, when at about 6.07, my cell phone rings, and it's Darcy uh, yelling at me, actually. She she said, get over here right now! And I'm like, what's going on? She said, there was absolutely no discussion, no comment. Uh, They're tallying the vote. You need to be here Now! And, and she was freaking, which caused me to freak, you know. And I told my family, I'm like, get in the car. We got to go, you know. So we jump in the car, and I, I hit the ice sped. I, I must confess, I broke the law and hit excessive speeds. And as I'm driving, it dawns on me, I'm wearing my shorts and a T-shirt, here I thought I was gonna have time to change into my pastoral attire here at church. And I realized I'm not gonna have time. And I tell my daughter, throw me my pants and shirt. I did something that no I would not recommend at all. As I drove at excessive speeds, I changed my pants. Can you believe that? Changed my shirt. You know, you know, it was a mess. And somehow just got my clothes on as I came screeching into the parking lot, jumped out of the minivan, charged down uh, this aisle, and about halfway down the aisle, I did something that I always do. Now you're going to start looking for it. I did something that I always do before I preach. It's an important part of the preparation, and it's when you use your pinky to do a zipper check. (laughs) See that? Can you guess what's coming? The zipper was wide open. (laughs) Wide open. And every eye in the place is on me, and so there's nothing I can do about fixing it. And so I'm not kidding you when I tell you, at the moment that could have been my greatest struggle with pride, I wasn't thinking about any prideful thought. I was just dying. This cannot be happening. Lord, you're kidding me, you know? And some of you are, are like, I don't know about this. Well, let me, I, what I did, what, you know, a, a preacher always carries his Bible, and a Bible has many uses, and one of them is this. And you're like, you did not do that. Would you like to see the video? these these are the elders coming around to celebrate and now they're going to pray which provides me a chance with the eyes bowed to fix the problem (laughs) Disagree with me. Thank (laughs) you. You may disagree with me, but I'm telling you, God arranged that. The Lord said, I know, Jeff, he can't handle this glory, all this praise. So the Lord said, I got the perfect plan. Angels, you may want to watch this. This is going to be awesome, God said, you know. God arranged that. So. Well, let's turn to the Word of God, shall we? <laughs> pride pride is a problem for all of us, and it was for Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem. We're going to be studying again in 2 Chronicles, this time out of chapter 32. If you have the Bible in front of you, you may want to turn to page 376. 376. It's Chronicles 32, verse 27, and it simply says, Hezekiah was very wealthy and highly honored. The highly honored means the people just said, Hezekiah, you're awesome. You have led us so well, and we just have the greatest admiration for you. And the wealth was, you know, the blessing that he and the whole of Jerusalem were enjoying. Sometimes when there's an awakening, the people are loving God and obeying God, and God is blessing and as the result, great victory is in the house when there is an awakening. And that was the case of the glory days under Hezekiah's reign. In fact, let me read on. Let me read the next part of the, verse 27. It talks about the riches. Hezekiah built special treasury buildings for his silver and gold and precious stones and spices and for his shields and other valuable items. He also constructed many storehouses for his grain and new wine, his olive oil. And he made many stalls for his cattle and his pens for his flock of sheep and goats. Can you imagine all the stuff? And then this section, the writer of the book ends with this important note. Verse 29, God had given Hezekiah great wealth. Where did the blessing come from? It came from God. And folks, this is so important to be reminded of. The Bible teaches that all of the good stuff in our life, James 1 says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. The Bible says that everything that's wonderful about our lives is a gift from God. And you may push back and say, no, it's not. I mean, I worked hard for what I've got. The success I've got, I accomplished. That is a spiritually naive interpretation of the goodness in your life. Let's, let's push on that for a moment. I think it's very helpful to remember who gave us life, God. Who gave us health to do work and to live our lives well, God. Who gave us intellect, God. Who gave us wisdom, God. Who gave us our skills and our abilities and our giftedness, God, who gave us the opportunities that we had to get an education and to find this job. God, every single good thing in our lives, if you have eyes to see, you will see, is in one way or another the act and the gift of God on our behalf. And godly people recognize that. And it's very dangerous if you don't. And unfortunately, Hezekiah knew that at first, He forgot it with time. Let me read to you uh, this next verse. It says in verse 25, But Hezekiah did not respond appropriately to the kindness shown him, and he became proud. Our hero fell. And let's talk about this kindness This kindness shown to him. Who's showing him the kindness? God is. God is pouring out so many blessings on Hezekiah and the people of Judah. And what does it say? Hezekiah didn't respond appropriately to that kindness. Let me just ask you, what would the appropriate response to God's goodness have been? Gratitude, right? Praise, thanks. Recognition that it comes from him and that he deserves to be exalted. Hezekiah, his, his life... This happens with time. It wasn't like he was always proud. He became proud. Hezekiah got caught up in the victory, in the applause. And little by little, his perspective shifted and he failed to respond to the kindness appropriately. And if you don't give God the praise for all the good things, who do you praise for the good things? You. You truthfully, every good thing in your life, you either say, wow, God is great, or you say, wow, I am great. And in the case of Hezekiah, later in life, he started to look around at all the good things happening in Judah, and he started to say, wow, I'm quite the king. I'm quite the leader. And little by little, his shift occurred where he stopped praising and thanking and glorifying God And he didn't do it out loud, but in his heart, he started to say, wow, I guess I am really something. And folks, all of us struggle with this. All of us do. You may say, no, I don't. I have a low self-esteem. You may have a low self-esteem and you still can struggle with pride because every one of us has certain areas of our lives, whether they be many or few, but some areas that are admirable. Something's going well there. And in those areas, you have a choice to recognize that as the act of our almighty and gracious God and give him praise for it, or have a momentary celebration of your own impressive nature. And that's pride. And Hezekiah fell to pride. And you say, well, is that really a big deal? You've got to read the rest of this verse. 25 goes on here, and it says, So the Lord's anger came against him. Oh, my. God got ticked off. And God said, I'm against you. Hezekiah, I have been backing you. I've been the wind in your sails. I have been for you. Now, I'm against you. Ready to experience that? The Bible says in James that God opposes the proud. And you may think God's overreacting here. That's my tendency. Hold on, Lord. I don't see why you're getting so upset You're angry and you're against? I don't think that's necessary, God. And God says, when it comes to pride, yeah, that's necessary and appropriate. God has an unusually strong reaction to the sin of pride. And you may wonder why, and I'll tell you. Pride is the sin of God's enemy. And when you look at Satan and his cohorts, the very sin that caused Satan to rebel was pride. The Bible records that Satan was once an angel of service to the Lord. He was a good lover of God. But God blessed him and promoted him to higher levels of leadership and responsibility in the angelic community. And there came a point where it got to Satan's head. And the Bible in Isaiah says that Satan thought of himself I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will become like God himself. In a sense, Satan said, why should, I, why should I serve the kingdom of God? I can have a kingdom of my own. And that's exactly what he started, the kingdom of darkness devoted to his allegiance. And so God says, gotta yeah, know, pride. Pride is the replacement of God with self on the stage of admiration. God looks at the first sin where Adam and Eve fell. Do you know what that sin was? Pride. Satan came to Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent. And he said, I know God told you not to eat that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan said, I'm telling you guys, take one bite and your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Same thing. Satan says, you don't need to worship God. You can be like God. This will lift you up to the level of God himself. Pride. And God looks at this this threat to his kingship, this replacement of his glory with self. And God says, I'm sorry, but if you embrace the the sin of the kingdom of darkness, you will find me against you opposing you. The revival will be over and no longer will I be richly blessing your life until you stop it. I will discipline you to end the reign of pride in your soul. So here's what happened with Hezekiah. Uh, God said, I need Hezekiah to see this sin. And so something really interesting occurred. Verse 31 now of 2 Chronicles 32 It says this, when ambassadors arrived from Babylon to ask about the remarkable events that had taken place in the land, I want to stop right there for a moment. Ambassadors from Babylon. Remember, the enemy of Judah at the time is the Assyrians, King Sennacherib and the Assyrians. They were the world empire. But the Babylonians are rising in power and soon about to replace the, the Assyrians as the dominant empire. But at this stage, Hezekiah looks at the Babylonians as like, wow, they are the rising stars of the land. And even naively thought, maybe they'll be my friend and help me against Assyria. And so, he had great admiration for Babylonians, and when these Babylonian rulers showed up to see the great things that they had heard about in Judah. This is a very heady thing. They they arrive saying we've just heard all about Hezekiah and we wanted to meet you because you're amazing. It'd be like if some black limousines pulled up in front of your house and some men in suits came to the door and said, the president of the United States has heard about you and he you're his hero and he wanted the chance to meet you. He promises not to take too much of your precious time, but would you grant him a handshake? You know, you'd be like, wow, well, okay. Yeah that's kind of the heady stuff that's going on here. And, and what does it say happened in this moment? The passage here says that God withdrew himself from Hezekiah in order to test him to see what was really in his heart. Now, this is a troubling verse for a number of reasons. First of all, Did this test, was it necessary for God to know the pride that was in Hezekiah's heart? And the answer is no. God is omniscient. He knows everything. But God knows that pride tends to lurk beneath the surface. And it needed to be exposed, not for God's sake, but for Hezekiah's sake. Hezekiah didn't even realize that this was here. The people didn't realize that they had pride. And God said, I could spare Hezekiah. I could keep this Babylonian temptation away from him. God says, I'm not going to do it. God says, I'm backing off. I'm withdrawing. And I'm going to allow this temptation to come his way because he needs to be tested and his pride needs to be revealed. It's one of the things about pride is that you may be saying, I don't have any pride. I used to, but I think I've grown. I'm over it. Real easy to be unidentified, even by us. And then God tests us. He provides a moment, a situation that brings it to the surface, and we realize, oh my, it's still there. That happened to me a week ago. Can I share? I was uh, in downtown Naperville. I uh, bumped into a guy by the name of Dwight. He didn't seem to be in a hurry. Neither was I. It was a beautiful day. So standing on the sidewalk in downtown Naperville, we struck up a conversation. And I asked him about his work, and he told me he was in real estate. I asked more, and he said, actually, I own buildings in downtown Naperville. I'm like, you're kidding me. Which one's? He starts pointing to the biggest, the newest, the most beautiful buildings in downtown Naperville. He he pointed to the Barnes & Noble building, many of you know. He pointed to the Main Street Promenade where Hugo's Frog Bar is. He goes, I own that one. And then the one next to the Main Street Promenade that's attached to the the parking garage. He goes, I own that one. And I'm like, holy cow, you own downtown Naperville. How did you get to this place. And so he shared his story. He goes, I just love this town. He goes, I've lived here all my life. And he said, I first bought a little office building, and then I sold it for, made some money, and then I bought a bigger one, and I sold it and made some more money. and Then I built one, I sold it, made some more money, and it just happened. I was impressed. I said, I love downtown Naperville, and you deserve a big part of the credit. You've really made it beautiful. And then he turned to me, and he said, what do you do? And I said, well, uh, I'm actually new to Naperville. I said, I'm the new senior pastor of a church in the area. Why did I have to say senior pastor of a church in the area? Why couldn't I have just said I'm a new pastor of a church in the area? Well, because I wanted to be accurate. I wanted to be specific. I didn't want him to be misled, you know. No, one reason, pride. And he asked me, oh, you are? He goes, what church are you at? And, and I said, I'm at the Compass Church. And he goes, I haven't heard of the Compass Church. I said, well, it was f- formerly called the Naperville Evangelical Free Church. He goes, he goes where, I don't know, where, where is it? And I said, oh, it's, it's on Hobson Road. You know Hobson? He's like, of course. And I go, Compass on Hobson? He goes, ah. And I said, okay, uh, do you know Worley. And he's like, Yeah, I know Worley. The northwest corner of Whorley and Hobson. That's the that's my church. He goes, I know the corner. I can't picture a church there. <laughs> I stopped talking with my mouth, but in my brain I kept talking. And what I said was Dwight, I can't believe you. I mean, it's huge for crying out loud. It's a mammoth church. Open your eyes, buddy. Are you blind or what? You grew up in this town. You don't know about us? We're one of the largest churches in the whole city. You should know. When this was going on in my brain, God just jumped in and said, Jeff Griffin, why is it bugging you so much that he's never heard of your church? Well because I'm concerned about his soul, Lord, and I really want him to because of pride. You know, he had impressed me as a very important person and I wanted to impress him as an important person. I wanted his admiration. I am still addicted to my own significance and uh, advocating for my own honor. And as I walked away from that conversation and I saw how I had reacted in my heart, God just, with a laser beam, said, Jeff Griffin, you are a pride-filled man, and that's got to go. Don't look at me like that. You're struggling too, every one of you. <laughs> let me tell you about this arrival of the Babylonians. It's interesting. It's, ref- it's referred to here in Chronicles, but it's in 2 Kings that a detail of what happened is given. And So let me turn to 2 Kings 20, verse 13. Hezekiah received the Babylonian envoys and he showed them everything in his treasure houses. He showed them the silver, the gold, the spices, the aromatic oils. He also took them to see his armory and he showed them everything in his royal treasuries. There was nothing in his palace or in his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Do you see the pride in this? They arrive and they say, Hezekiah, we've heard amazing things about you and your kingdom. Could we see what you've got? Oh, yes, you can. Come this way. I'll show you, you know. And he starts, they want to see more? Oh, you want to see more? Okay, I'll show you more. And he just kept showing them. And then as the Babylonians were leaving, Isaiah the prophet was arriving. Look at the next verse. Verse 14 Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and he asked him, Hey, who were those men? Where were they from? Hezekiah replied, Well, they, they came from the distant land of Babylon. What, what did they see in your palace? Isaiah asked. Well, I don't know. I mean, they saw everything, Hezekiah replied. I, they wanted to see it, so I showed them everything I own. I showed them all my royal treasuries. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Listen to the message of the Lord. The time is coming when everything in your palace, all the treasures stored up by your ancestors until now, will be carried off to Babylon. He said, Hezekiah, you are so naive. Yes, they wanted to see you and meet you, and they were impressed. But they also have ambition to be the next dominating empire, and they're staking out the joint. They were checking where you keep your stuff. They will be your enemy. They will come. They will destroy Jerusalem, and they'll cart it all away. And what made Hezekiah caught up in this naive moment? Pride. And as Isaiah, as the servant of God, confronts Hezekiah of his pride, and pronounces God's judgment on his pride. Thankfully, in this moment, Hezekiah comes to his senses. Let's read. Uh, This is verse 26. Then Hezekiah humbled himself and repented of his pride, as did the people of Jerusalem. Remember I told you in the last verse we were going to learn that it wasn't just Hezekiah's pride problem All the people of Jerusalem needed to repent of the corporate pride that came their way. Thankfully, the Lord in his grace had allowed Hezekiah to be tested, had allowed him to fail so that his pride would be exposed, and now Hezekiah sees it, and thankfully he repents. What is repentance? Repentance is when you say, oh, I didn't realize it, but I see it now, and that is absolutely disgusting. God, I can't believe, Hezekiah said, I can't believe that I have come to a place of giving myself kudos for your grace in my life. And Hezekiah said, God Almighty, forgive me. I repent. I am sorry. I repent means to turn 180 degrees and go the other way. And Hezekiah said, I refuse to live this way anymore. From this day forward, I will recognize all that is good in my life as the gracious hand of God and give you the praise rather than stealing it for myself. Forgive me, God. I repent. And the good news about our God is his grace knows no limits. And he forgave and his favor was restored to the people of Judah. And in this story of Hezekiah's battle, failure, and repentance, we learn about two weapons. I'm going to call them weapons because our battle with pride is like hunting a monster that's trying to devour our souls. And I want to give you two weapons to take home and to use to kill pride. And we see them in this text. The first was gratitude, right? Right? Remember, it says that Hezekiah did not respond appropriately to the kindness God showed him. He got proud. What was the appropriate response? Gratitude. Gratitude is when we recognize that what we've got is from God, that he's the one that should be celebrated. So I would challenge you with this specific task. Maybe you need to take your prayer journal and write down every single good thing in your life. And you say, that's impossible. Write a bunch of them. The things that you might be tempted to, to pride with. Write them down. Say, you know what? These are beautiful, wonderful aspects of my life. And then ask yourself this. Who deserves the credit and the praise? And then say, God, I I give you gratitude for this. I give you gratitude for this. I give you praise for this, this, this. I don't deserve any of it. You deserve the celebration for the goodness in my life. That's using the weapon of gratitude to destroy the monster of pride. And then the other one is repentance. Hezekiah taught us that when God exposes, when he uses circumstances to reveal lurking pride in us, repent, fall on your face, grab your prayer journal, do what you got to do, but call it what it is. And a despicable sin of the nature that Satan celebrates And I don't want to participate in the ways of the kingdom of darkness. I repent. God, that's ugly. Forgive me. And through gratitude and repentance, we as individuals and we as a corporate body can gain victory over pride and the awakening will be sustained because of our humility. Shall we pray? Let's pray. God, we thank you for Hezekiah. We thank you for the people in his day. We thank you for that awakening, and we beg you for one of our own. And God, as you move, as you bless, as you infuse life and passion into our church, I pray that we will not grow proud, but that we will turn our eyes to heaven. We'll look you in the eye and celebrate you for all that's happening. Praise you. We want to be a people, God, who are obsessed with you. We don't want to be obsessed with ourselves. We don't want to be thinking about ourselves. We want to be thinking about you and amazed at how beautiful and loving and wonderful you are. It's not about us, God. It's about you. We don't want the praise, the focus, the exaltation, To be unto us. We want it unto you. In Jesus' name we pray.